welcome to Agile World. Hello, Sabrina. You look wonderful. Suntanned. You've been on holiday for a while, I hear. I have. I had a bit of leave, so it's great to actually be back on camera. Yay! And, and we have a, we have an entire room full of people. Obviously, we're all in separate rooms in different parts of the world, but hey, it's still a room full of people. Um, Pam, could you introduce yourself just to get us going? Thanks, Carl. So I'm Pam Ashby. I'm strategist at the Agile Business Consortium, the professional body for business agility. I'm a qualified coach with a background of working with leaderships and coaching agile ways of working, mainly with marketing divisions. Thank you. Debs. Yeah, thank you. So I am from the same place as Pam. I'm from the uh, Business Agile Consortium. I am fairly new, been there four weeks. I am the project and events manager for the consortium. Okay, so we get free tickets from you. Good to know. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Georgie, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Georgie Povey. I'm a manager at J-Curve, uh, also an enterprise agility coach. Um, J-Curve's a management consultancy. We support our clients to increase their organized agility so that they can thrive and perform in an increasingly uncertain and changing world. Thank you. Kieran, let us know what's, what's happening, who you are. So I'm Kieran McEwen, also one of our managers and enterprise agility coaches, also working at J-Curve. So spend my day-to-day -day working with leaders and delivery teams around introducing and embedding organizational agility. Ben, go for it. Hi everyone, I'm Ben Hutchinson. I'm a director with J-Curve, also involved in this research and enterprise agility coach, mainly in financial services. Thank you, Ben. I better actually allow Sabrina to introduce herself, otherwise it will be trouble later. I'm Sabrina Noto. Uh, I'm an enterprise leadership agility coach, uh, currently uh, a private consultant as well. So that's me and also founder of Agile World. And I'm Carl Smith, co-founder of Agile World, been involved in Agile since 2003 and still like it. So there must be something going on and it's <laughs> useful. Um, let's let's uh, kick off with the, the subject of the night, which is the, um, the Agile survey. Um, ben, do you want to lead out with, um, you know, some history of it, what, why we're doing it and, and really how it was done? Sure, yeah. So the State of Agile Culture Research, the SOAC report, um, which you can download, we'll put a link at the bottom, but it's downloadable now. Um, we've been running this for the last three years, and we like to survey different organisations across industries and across countries to understand the state of their agile maturity and what they're finding complex and some of the uh, contradictions and challenges in how they're rolling out agile approaches um, across different contexts. Now we find this is the largest research of its kind in the world and we find it really insightful to see some of those differences and what makes the biggest difference in terms of agile levers that organizations can pull to improve their levels of maturity. Um, this particular year, we focused in on leadership. We think leadership is a vital topic for really transforming an organization's culture. And we wanted to go a little bit deeper this year in that specific realm, just to understand what can leaders do more effectively to change the dynamics and change the culture. Um, so you'll see some interesting stats emerging around differences between C-suite, for example, and then uh, team members and their perceptions. But I won't spoil all of the content for now. That's just a little teaser. Um, but that's the purpose of the research. And we're really proud to have been featured, in fact, this this week in Sky News. Um, they wanted to hear all about the emerging themes that have come out of this year's report. Great, thank you. Um, how is the Agile Business Consortium involved in this? 
the Agile Business Consortium has been involved with this since the get-go, I think. Um, and we we support this because we're really keen to work with organisations to advance business agility. And we know that culture is an absolute foundation. So if you have the foundation of culture, the psychological safety that goes with that, then you can build business agility. And, and so we're really happy to support J-Curve as one of our accredited delivery providers to do this research. And there is someone missing tonight um, from Truthsayers that provided the underlying technology. Uh, technology uses pattern analysis to understand uh, not just what people say, but uh, whether or not they believe what they've said, which is a very interesting concept. Um, so the actual research uh, can be validated as it's being done rather than secondary validation. It's a very good and very interesting technology. Uh, would anyone like to share any of the insights from what was revealed in this survey? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess the key headline from this is that we went to examine the impact of different leadership styles on agile culture, business agility, organizational resilience, and commercial performance. These are some pretty key things, especially in today's climate and, and what we're seeing with our clients as well, struggling to keep pace with a lot of changing and uncertain circumstances. Um, so we we surveyed over a thousand people from a range of organizations, from small businesses to FTSE 100 companies, and um, as Ben alluded to already, uh, across a range of different levels within those organizations. Um, and I think what we found um, primarily is that a lot of our leaders in today's world don't have the right skills and capabilities to be able to respond effectively and help and lead their organizations to respond effectively to challenges in the market and also opportunities as well. Um, I think there's it's around 10% of people demonstrate those qualities and capabilities that we'd expect to be seeing. Do you find that that's maybe a possibility in, in a lot of organisations? Leadership have kind of moved up the ranks, but when you get to a certain level, there isn't much well-known training out there. I think that's exactly right. I think a lot of people progress up the ladder because they are an expert in their subject matter Um and they have those qualities, but actually you do reach a certain point in your career where you step in away from that and perhaps more into a leadership role where you haven't had that training um, or even just maybe more modernized training. Um, today's world's changed a lot from where what, what might have been on the typical curriculum or what people would learn about, um, especially with we've got hybrid working um, and lots of different things have changed. So I think that's definitely an area of perhaps we're, we're not equipping people with the right skills and capabilities when they take these positions. And does it show within a survey there might be a slight bit of fear as well? Because obviously when you get to that level, it's almost kind of felt that you should know everything. You are the leader. You should know everything. You should know what to do. You should know what the next steps. And there's that possible fear out there, which would be great to maybe advertise that actually lifelong learning is not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. 
Exactly. And I think there's certainly that miscomprehension that you need to be an expert and be able to guide the teams. But that's founded in this traditional command and control ideology, really, where the leader is the person everyone looks up to and they take the steer from. So, in fact, we've we've used in our research, we've distinguished between two types of leader, one which you would call the heroic type of leader, which in reality is around about 90 percent of leaders where they feel it's important to have all the answers. Many of them manage their direct reports on a one to one basis. And they feel that really they're there to guide and shepherd each individual to do their very best work and essentially command the field. Um, now, the different, the other type of leader and the more advanced, the more agile leader takes a, a more modern view of the world and takes a more agile servant leader approach. So around about 10% of leaders have really mastered this style of leadership. Um, we call it post-heroic. It's based on a framework, if anyone's read uh, originally the book by Bradford and Cohen, um, which was called Managing for Excellence. And they distinguish between these two types of characteristics where the more advanced servant leaders really just galvanize the popular opinion of the teams. They truly empower individuals to perform at their very best. And what and the value of their contribution is to bring together different perspectives, different opinions, rather than trying to direct and decide on every, every decision point. Um, so actually, yes, I think there's a lot of fear, particularly from that first group of leaders, the heroic leadership. Um, they might feel they have to have the answers and be the directive ones. But in fact, there is a group of people out there who, who actually have a more modern approach and probably fear that that change less. And we really deep dive on that, that modern type of leader in the results and looked at some of the differences within that community to start to understand what are the traits and what do they need to do more of to be truly effective in those roles. And within your role, ro sorry to keep asking questions, <laughs> we all know how passionate I am about this. So within those results, can you actually see a link from the answers from the leadership to also people that are, I don't like to use this term underneath leadership, but are collaborating with those leaders, those ones that showed that percentage of the you know, we we were not command and control. Did you actually see a difference within the data to those leaders that are possibly working in that command and control? We certainly see a huge difference. So in fact, 97% of C-suite members believe that they are role modeling agile behaviors. In reality, only 10% 10 of them are post-heroic. So in fact, we know this isn't really the case. Um, if you contrast that, and we do categorize based on the role that an individual has, the respondent, um, only 2% of delivery team members agree that their C-suite are modeling agile behaviors. Now that's a huge delta, 97 compared to two. Um, and this is why it's so powerful to really understand the underlying beliefs of some of these respondents versus what they might say. Because when you start to really look at the psychology and how they're answering these questions, that's how the neuroscience works, you can start to understand there's this real disconnect. And whilst people might be afraid to say it, not many individuals in organizations truly see their C-suite role modeling this agile type of behavior. In addition to those data points, we, um, we saw that um, leaders or individuals that were demonstrating those post-heroic leadership qualities, which Ben's spoken about, they were really closely associated to organizations with, with increased agility, with stronger agile cultures, and also um, with more resilient organizations. So there were really strong correlations between those, those quali leadership qualities and the ability for, for those organizations to thrive in, in today's environment. What they said to me was, this is really sort of pointing out that Agile needs to go beyond the team. That we we always come back to talking about leaders, don't we? It's, it's always about 
leaders. And I think that there's still a strong feeling out there that Agile is about team, what's happening in the team. So the team members, the deliverers, and yet it's about business agility. And as soon as you lift it to talk about business agility, then it becomes a different thing. And I think there's a split between heroic and non-heroic leaders and actually thinking about how do you serve people so that they can feel empowered? What does empowerment mean to them? How do they develop and actually innovate in a safe space? How, How does all of that work? And that involves leaders. And when I've been working with leadership teams, they find this difficult because they've been brought up in that heroic leadership space. Um, they they feel exposed if they don't know the answers. And yet we know there are no answers now. The, the whole thing is to step back from this concept that there's an answer because it may be a situation where you simply need to test and learn and listen and and use all those different perspectives. And there was something in the report as well about um, leadership applying different lenses to a situation. And that had actually dropped from the last report to this report. That And I found that quite surprising that, that actually that real close examination of a situation and understanding those unintended consequences was something that we were clearly not getting better at. Well, the role of a leader within leadership, within whether it be in a small organisation, a big organisation, a startup, has actually completely changed. And I would say it's actually changed and evolved very quickly. Well, I would say maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd say it's round about between five to seven years, max 10 years, that it has changed and evolved especially with the new generation that's coming in, the way that they react to leadership. It, but we haven't evolved, or those leaders that have worked their way up the ladder haven't had that opportunity to evolve or change. Um, and I think it is a big thing. It is a very, very big thing at the moment. And I think we need to really show that it's okay to get support. It is okay to get you know, coaching and, and training. Because I think there's still, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of people that are still scared and they still feel that they need to be the one with all the answers instead of actually leaning on their peers. I think you're completely right, Sabrina. And a lot of these, uh, you know, behavioral attributes we're talking about can be quite exposing, can be very exposing, you know, delegating authority and, you know, encouraging feedback, constant feedback from your teams. These kind of things can be very exposing. As you say, you may have, you know, developed in your career with a certain style and then really a big thrust of what we're getting at in the report is, okay, you're now at this point. How do you reflect on your style? What are the practical steps that you might want to take in terms of thinking about how you move the needle and you're showing, how you're showing up for your teams and supporting them? And having the time as a leader, you'll, you'll notice that they actually work, was it 50, 60 hours a week? So having that time to be able to evolve yourself, not only just openly admit, or say, actually, I need evolving, I need support. But having that physical time, I remember I did some work with a, a company because they couldn't understand why their leadership coaching and training was never actually picked up by leaders, by the, by the C-suite level. And, it, and I explained to them that actually, they don't have time to, they don't read your emails because they don't have time to read your emails. They read the articles, but only read a snippet of the articles. 
but they don't physically have time to take two, three, four days out to improve on themselves. Because nine times out of 10, the only time they get to themselves is when they get off the train and they're with their family. And then that's taking time away from the family. So it's it's also understanding their workload, but also getting mm. to understand that prioritizing yourself is actually a business, is, is a benefit for your organization and for the people that you're leading. And I don't think they they realize that enough or the leaders above them again realize how important that is i mean i was going to say sabrina what you were saying earlier about there are no real courses for c-suite out there for the agility side of things and that's why i find what's important is when they when companies are scaling up and they are going on platforms like masterclass and things like that and I was watching something the other day with the um, the CEO of Bumble, you know, billion, billion dollar business. And she was there talking about her main topic was talking about vulnerability and how you have to be yourself and you have to open yourself up and everything. You have to be you. And that was really refreshing. And that's those platforms where people, when those sort of level of people speak on those platforms, that's when it really starts hitting home for people. Executive education at that level mostly has to be personalized and highly customized to that individual's needs. So we see the likes of, um, let's say, executive coaching um, and one-to-one sessions that really helps them understand their own vulnerabilities and uncertainties, things that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable sharing in in a group of peers, for example, in a classroom setting. So it is is a different type of self-reflection. It requires those vulnerabilities to be addressed in a confidential and a safe space. And quite often you'll see executive coaches helping those leaders with just some of the basic elements or the basic steps around how to empower and support teams in a servant manner. Um, So for instance, moving away from how are you getting on? Are you going to hit your deadlines? What's the situation? Towards really basic questions like, hey, how can I help? How are things going? Do you need any support? And it's a very subtle change. And in reality, they're driving towards the same type of question. But by positioning that that word, those words in a particular way, you're more likely to get a favorable outcome and more likely to get the team opening up with you. Having that connection with that leader as well. It's, I'm so sorry, Carl. I'll, I'll be quite a little bit more in a minute. But it's having that connection with that leader. Because as you've just mentioned, when it comes to coaching and supporting, when it comes to teams and management, you're doing it across multiple areas. But when it comes to leadership coaching, there is a different behavior and connection that you're always at risk that you could actually start working with a particular leader. And if you don't have that trust, if you don't have that connection with them, they're not going to make the time or open up to you for you to be able to work on some of what could be the basic things to support them in organizing or structuring or working. And the other side of it is you'll get a lot of leadership that when you hear the term agile, they still think, and I get this a lot, and I'm sure you all agree with me here. Why do I need to do scrum? Why do I need to do Kanban? That's what they do. I'm not delivering these things. I'm just managing them. I'm just doing this. There still needs to be you know, more, inf- well, I think there's so much information, but it still needs to be more understanding that actually agility leadership does not involve Kanban or Scrum or, or like that. It's a very different mindset, behavior and way of working. And hopefully they'll see this video and, and you know, get a snippet of it. I've got two questions. Uh, first question um, is about leadership in terms of servant leadership doesn't really have seemed to got very far into the whole leadership organizational construct. And I think because it's a bit of an anathema to them, it doesn't really make sense to them. And the second one is um, 
a lot of times in agile we talk about knowledge workers as as a replacement terminology for leaders and again they don't really like that either does anything come out of the survey or from your implementations of the survey that kind of points how we can help leaders adopt agile and think in a more agile way about the complexities that they have to deal with I think in terms of your first point around servant leadership, we certainly see that, that it's not a particularly popular concept with that group. Um, and in fact, some of the real examples, uh, like, for example, David Marquet, who wrote Turn the Ship Around, providing real life examples of the struggles that David went through in that position and how he conquered those struggles. Um, but it wasn't easy. I think really bring this topic to life for leaders. Um, my personal view is that servant leadership with its roots in the 1970s, uh, religious movements and so on, there's a tendency for some leaders to distance themselves from that and see it as not a commercial pursuit, perhaps. Um, and for others, it may be a tad abstract. I think it's probably on us as agile practitioners to really bring to life the key elements of, let's say, servant leadership or those sorts of disciplines, but in a way that's accessible and practical and, and, and real for, for leaders. Um, but yeah, certainly, Georgie, um, we, we definitely saw some of the themes around the importance of training and, and coaching both for C-suite and other participants in, this, in the survey. Do you think there's more we could be doing there to help those C-suite leaders learn and grow? Yeah, definitely. I think role modelling is such a huge piece of what the staff are looking for. And, and it's such a key contributor to the culture that is set in a business. And we've seen that a strong agile culture yields an increased commercial performance of 277% in this year's survey. So I think it, it really... I think sometimes when you talk about the softer things, about the agile culture, you know, not all leaders are going to be switched on and focused on that. But I think when you do talk about the commerciality aspect of it, I think, you know, you, people's ears perk up and you want to be able to drive that for your business. So I think there is a definitely a piece around taking leaders, taking that time to reflect um, and really challenge themselves on what is their capability, because we know that there is definitely that gap in awareness and understanding from what the staff are viewing of their C-suite and leadership teams versus how they think they're performing themselves. So I think that's a big piece or message to get across of actually, right, you know, that might be what you think, but why? Let's question and challenge ourselves why other people in the business aren't, aren't thinking like that. I think the other really interesting piece that we saw was a big unlocker here is um, it might not just be the agile ways of working on the day-to-day, -day, but from a leadership perspective, we're seeing it super valuable for them to be able to provide really clear intent and purpose and setting that strategic vision and being able to communicate and cascade that down through the business so that then the delivery team members and people actually on the floor closest to the information are able to understand and prioritize their workload effectively and that it always links back up to that overarching strategy and vision that the, the organization is trying to achieve. That's one of the things I really liked about this report, that it really highlighted the importance of the, the clarity of the vision, sort of what is the clarity of intent here. And, and I think as leaders get to grips with letting go of things and empowering, they also need to notice what they need to keep hold of. And, and sometimes they they let go too much. And then you've got all these empowered teams um, not really delivering the right things for the goals of the organization. And that 
link to commerciality, sort of that actually this is stuff that will deliver hard commercial gains. That's really, really important. Yeah, because this is another opposite side, as you've just mentioned, that you will get teams that are just running off, which will then causes panic to that particular leader because they're trying to keep up with everything because they are literally just running away with the train. And that can sometimes actually pull leaders back. So they've already started working in this improved way of working, but actually then they start to panic and go, oh, no, 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 I'm going to revert back to command and control because you guys are running off with a train, like a train. And now things are getting delivered. That wasn't actually the original request from their customer or depending on your organization. And you do find actually a lot of leaders will sometimes try, but then actually will the fear will kick in without realizing that actually given that clear direction and clarity would actually stop the train running off. In this year's survey, you know, we introduced a kind of strong focus on empowerment in last year's report um, and the kind of key elements to that. But then within this year's survey, I think it was 44% of respondents who said they felt empowered by their leaders. So I think you can kind of see that that needle has not moved as much as we'd anticipated, much to what you're speaking to there. And I think, as you say, it's that clarity, making sure then that everybody has the, you know, the competency, the required skills that you're investing in that. And then that enables them within those guardrails to relinquish that control. I think, as you say, that's something we see time and again in implementations as well. That's a real difficult thing for, for leaders to let go of. Just briefly, so that point around competence really coming through strongly in this year's survey. So in order for there to be that control, as Kieran says, you need to have the clarity as well as the competence in the teams. What we're seeing is the majority of team members saying they're not being given the training provision. And in fact, one of the key levers to unlock an agile um, culture as referred to in, in this year's report, it's around giving people that that training, that coaching, that guidance, which we haven't seen coming through so clearly in previous years' surveys. So these themes are definitely interconnected, but there needs to be both. We, you know, the teams need to have that structured training and as well as that clarity on what the mission is all about in order for that control to be handed over. A quick point, just to go back to the commercial um, advantages of Agile and what um, I think Sabrina said and, and Pam mentioned, with the C-suite, that's when they when it, when it affects the bottom line. That's when they start to take notice. So actually, that being a soundbite of this report is is a really important um, aspect for for us to evangelise um, because that's when the C-suite do take notice. Yeah, I like the clarity of vision bit because you can only prioritise if you know what you're prioritising against. And, and that's where things go awry because teams find prioritization one of the hardest things. One of the things I found most interesting, I think in this report, and it came out very strongly around experimentation and that ability to test and learn and feel safe in doing so. Interestingly, C-suite believe they empower their teams to experiment the teams don't always feel it's a safe place to experiment, which is crazy. If you look at, for example, sports people, they're, they're train, training and practicing all the time. In business, we never have that opportunity. So actually just giving them the space to experiment and, and practice and learn would be great, even though CC Suite feel they're doing it. I don't think it's reality reality on the ground. And yet, interestingly, C-suite themselves don't feel empowered or able to experiment themselves very much. They feel constrained by stock market expectations or expectations of their leaders. So you've got this weird sort of mixture of people feeling like 
they're giving uh, the ability to experiment, but they're not receiving it in return. And likewise, not experiencing that safe environment. I think if the organizations took a, a long, hard look at themselves and look at what do they want to achieve and how are we going to get there through test and learn, a bit of a cultural overhaul is required at all levels of the organization so that the C-suite can then uh, delegate down that, that ability to, to experiment and test and learn. As we know, it's vitally important. Please just go to our website, stateofagileculture.com, and you can download your copy. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for attending. It was really interesting. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Thank Good to you. See you.